0: And welcome everybody to Mind appendage report. Eric is on a mission. He a is sorry. He's on a safari and is looking for animals. Mean tough. I see,
1: I see a couple right there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> couple dangerous, animals. Dangerous, oh, dangerous animals.
1: Be, that's yes, right. Please. Dangerous animals.
0: Yes, and and mean encounters. <laughs> we are going to spend some time talking about that. But first, you can tell. That there are only three of us, because one of us is having a really mean encounter with a with a uh, condition that she picked up oh about six weeks ago, seven weeks ago now, and hasn't been able to shake it because she's not done with it for another seven months, and uh, so she is um, she's away from us. She may uh, chime in with uh, via comments, but uh, she, that's Kayla May, and and congratulate her and wish her. Well, all at the same time because she is uh, pregnant, and for her, as happens with some people, pregnancy can be a rather negative experience if you get to throw up every day and you can't eat properly and all that. Kind. So it's it's tough. So we've she's given her we've given her an excuse to to beg out for at least until she feels better, which we're hoping is going to be soon. But it's kind of tough. But uh, Eric Hall is here. <laughs> Eric, nice to see you and matt shea is here matt shea you're a beautiful man it's it's great to see you and let's see and oh and kayla may is she is and hey kayla uh she's pretty so yeah well you know those things happen and and we're we're glad that she's participating with us today because uh she may have a story or two because she lived in the she lived on a farm when she was growing up and in the backwoods and that kind of stuff so um and um she says you know you're you're the uncle to her unborn child you two and apparently me too, so that's, that's. I'm certainly, we're not the father, fortunately, Um, but uh, it works out really well. So, Eric, this is your idea. Tell us your idea. Animal encounters.
1: We've all had them, both wild animals and, you know, domesticated, and uh, it's wonderful. You know, animals, how do you beat an encounter with an animal? Is there any better creature to come upon and have a moment with than you know, even your own cat or your own dog. Who knows you better? You know, seriously. Oh,
0: my, own, my own pets, I've, I, I'm a dog person, and I love them terribly. Um, um, I'm not so much of a cat person like you are. Um, yeah. you're, you're, you're much more of a cat person. And, and, Matt, I'm not sure we've talked about it. Are you a cat or a dog person?
2: I lean towards a cat, but I immensely love both of them. Mm-hmm. Cats have that mystique where they know what's going on, a dog is that unconditional love child it always believes in you and could never ever reject you or hold anything a cat they're kind of mystic
1: yeah a cat chooses to care for you or not yeah and they're not shy about showing you that's right they'll they'll tell you when they're not uh, when you're not in favor they'll they'll tell you
0: well, and Martha Norwalk, who does who is the animal behavioralist, the gal that does a Sunday show that I, I work with, she says that uh, uh dogs have masters, cats have staff.
1: Okay. <laughs> That's pretty much it. That's yep. pretty much it.
0: Cats determine how they're gonna behave towards you and they they and they're not shy about showing you that they're mad at you. Yeah,
1: they're mad. If fact, growing uh,
2: up go ahead.
0: No, go
1: ahead.
2: Growing up, we had a funny neighborhood because we were the rambunctious, different, not politically correct family. And the, behind us, there was a family we got o- along with off again and on again. And then one day we had a stray cat and it would come and go days at a time. They have the same story because it was the same cat. And then the day came when they were moving and, hey, that's our cat. That's our that. the thing's just looking cute as possible. how many suckers was it eating off of out there? But it sort of united us on a good note. So those rainy nights, she was with you instead of, yeah, look at it that way. We weren't stealing it. So um, they know what's
1: going on. Nice. Yeah, cats are something else. We had uh, had a neighborhood cat when I was growing up. And, you know, she was a cat. She was one of those rare cats that likes to go for rides. Oh, yeah. I don't know any that do. Oh, she loved to go for rides, and and I'd take her out. She'd ride on my shoulders, you know, so I'd go to the grocery store. I'd keep her in the car, you know, when I'd do stuff. And But she loved, if I headed for the car, she would follow me and then jump in and sit on my lap and then look out the window as I drove. Yeah, wow. She was just wonderful. And it turned out other neighbors, you know, she'd do this to other neighbors. When they started getting in their car, she would jump in, and uh, she would go for a ride wherever they went. And we got a call one day. It was uh, I'm trying to think. I think it was Thanksgiving. Uh, one of our neighbors had called and said, "Hey, you know, went over to my uh, sister's house for Thanksgiving and turns out uh, boogie was in your back, was in our back seat. so you know we'll bring her back after dinner. okay, you know that's what <laughs> have, either,
0: have either of you guys worked at a fair? No well, Kayla has. And she somehow managed to ride a 500-pound pig uh, backwards at the Monroe Fair when she was showing pigs in school, a and and stuff. She, she was oh FFA, Future Farmers of America. What a great and, organization! Yeah, so that must have been fun uh, getting going for a ride on a 500-pound pig. Not all of us can say that. <laughs> no. <laughs> As a matter of fact, most of us can't. Most of us can't. <laughs> so, so Eric, I was curious because uh, when we were talking about this subject, you said you had a dangerous encounter with a beaver. Talk about that.
1: <laughs> well, I've had encounters with beavers. Uh, one was dangerous, but I won't talk about that one because she doesn't talk to me anymore. But I will, <laughs> I will talk about. But I will talk about the beavers. Uh, when I was living in Monroe, I was building a cabin out there. And have I told you this before? I lived in, um, I have some property in Monroe, and I was building a cabin out there. And it took me a while. So sometimes I would stay in a tent on the property, and sometimes I'd stay at a buddy's abandoned house. And when I mean it was abandoned, this house, you know, parts of it didn't have a roof. And it it was, you know, not good, a whole bunch of cars parked in the parking lot. But that's another story.
0: Uh, (laughs) One of those eyesore places.
1: Yeah, that only Monroe can hold. Monroe <laughs> is a charming town. I love it out there. But there is an interesting mixture of habitations. Indeed. And this property, it's uh, it's on Woods Lake. And the lake is maybe uh, 100, 100 yards maybe from where uh, I was building this cabin. And when I say cabin, think of a garden shed that's uh, 8 by 12. Yeah, no power or anything, everything was, you know, rough in it. Cabin. And at night, because it's beautiful in the summers up there in the woods. And boy, if you get a chance to go hiking during a full moon at night in some woods, I recommend it because you're going to see the woods in a whole different way. There are creatures out there that come out at night and take full advantage of, you know, the moonlight. And it, it's absolutely stunning. But I would take uh, the canoe out at night because up in Monroe, there isn't as much light pollution as there is down here in Seattle. So you could float out into the middle of the lake and you take the stars in, you know, which are numerous. It's amazing. And this uh, Woods Lake has a couple of beaver nests that have been there for, you know, ever. This is an old old uh, place
0: now when you're saying they're they're the mounds that are in the in the, the water right that they they live underneath
1: yeah they live underneath and they they'll they're constantly building and adding on and they'll build new nests so if you're out in the middle of the lake you know a beaver will go by and it's pushing you know some stick or some trunk or you know large branch to take back to the nest and add to it and uh There was uh, several times, you know, I'd go out there and watch them and uh, I'd be in the middle and, you know, maybe one of those branches would touch the canoe, hit the canoe and the beaver would see that I'm out there and would slap its tail, you know, and then dive right down and there'd be another slap, you know, across the way, wherever it was going. It was fascinating.
0: Absolutely fascinating. That's it. You weren't, you weren't attacked by the beaver or anything. No, beavers, beavers will, uh, they'll avoid
1: any kind of conflict with you. They're just absolutely, you know, they're stunning to watch.
0: And uh, you, go ahead. No, I'm just going to tell you, did you, ever, did, did you ever listen to the story of Jeff, Jeff Foxworthy about the beaver that bit his nipple his, off? He bit his friend's nipple off and it's like, no, OFF off. He bit his nipple off. Because it was a a, a a um beaver that they thought had gotten hit and he picked up the beaver by the tail and they thought it was dead and it wasn't, and it and it bit him right there and bit his nipple clean off. Yeah, so I, that's got, what I, I was, got both my here. I got
1: both my nipples.
0: <laughs> well good, I'm glad that wasn't you. I would oh. hate
1: to be bitten by a beaver, man. Those teeth. <laughs>
0: Now you you know my time I I've talked to k- about Kayla being a little salty and being a tough um, badass chick. Yeah. Uh, I won't touch a garter snake. Gardening snakes as a kid, I used to put them in a fish tank and bring them inside. My mother cleaned the house, found snakes all over the house. She was terrified of them. Uh, well, yeah, you mean um, the
1: snakes would escape the aquarium and in yeah. the
0: house. Well, she didn't, she didn't apparently uh, secure them very well, which, which brings me to one of my favorite stories. Um, when I was traveling, I had the occasion to go down to Louisiana and, uh, uh, I had to spend the weekend there because, uh, there was a flight problem or whatever. So I I was going to stay another week down there and, and work, uh, the following week. So I figured I'd play golf on the weekend.
1: Nice.
0: And, the, and so I went into, there was a golf course that is right down there on the bayou. And it is, um, it's, a, it's a really nice golf course, but it's like it's cut out of the jungle. So you've got the nice fairways and you've got the nice grass and stuff. But on the sides of it is, really is forge jungle and stuff. So I, I went there on a Sunday afternoon and I decided I was going to play um, with, uh, and they matched me up with a couple of local guys. And they were like, well, how do you, how you doing? It's nice to see you and where you from and stuff. So we get to talking and we're playing and stuff. And I have got this, uh, the ability to slice the ball into the woods. Now in Washington, you slice the ball into the woods. You go look for the ball. And so I am thinking to myself, well, maybe it's not too far into the woods, and I'll just go peek and look for it. And, um, and I was walking towards that. One of the guys looked at me, and he said, you know, I don't think I'd go in there if I was <laughs> you. There's shit in there that you don't want to meet face-to-face. Like, <laughs> like a, what? Uh, well, snakes, uh, uh, alligators, um, um, other, so. other varmints that – they could they can. so he was he was very clear no i wouldn't go in there if i was you that's a bad place to be and it was like okay sir i won't go in there it's 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 a golf ball it's i don't want to lose like a leg or something for having a looking for my golf ball
1: a little banjo in the background
0: playing <laughs> hey come here big boy <laughs> I, well, you know it's interesting. Just real quick, one more story. But uh, okay, I was writing with a, 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 one of the other sales reps who happens to live in Arkansas, and we were in Arkansas, yeah, and wow. uh, we were at Siloam Springs, a city of eight thousand people, and it's right next to uh, the Oklahoma border, and so it has per capita the most tattoo parlors in the country Isn't in Silo right? Yeah, because because in Oklahoma it's illegal so they they have a bunch they have a bunch of them right there in silent springs and i was talking to one of the guys and he's lived there all of his life and and i said do you ever go to the backwoods and he said you mean the backwoods backwoods where where people don't haven't been there in a while and there are people there that have not left there in a long time No, we don't go there. They, they, those, those people are just nasty and stuff. So, so that's that's you know, the the, um um the movie um uh uh, yeah,
1: that's that starts with a D.
0: Yes, it does. You're good at this. Deliverance. (laughs) Deliverance. Right off the top. That a boy. That a boy. (laughs) Where to be, man? Where to be? (laughs) You did it, buddy. Uh, no, it's, it's, so that apparently is, is true. <laughs> Kayla says here, kitty, kitty. I don't get what that means, but that's okay. So, oh, I, I, she forgot to put the lid on, um,
1: snakes now and forgot to put the lid on the aquarium.
0: Exactly. So, so Matt, you, you're, you're looking down. Do you have a, a, a contribution to this here, well, Shindig? I go to ocean shores a lot
2: because it's so desolate and all the time I count more deer than I see locals. Well, the deer are the locals, but more deer than humans, which means I'm gonna have a great weekend here. And the hotels are not right off the water. They're back a couple hundred yards. So you're walking through this brush and they have deer there and the deer do a buddy system. I was, um, we would watch and one would have its head up like a draft. Or you'd see four, and they're all looking at different direction. They're being scouts basically, and when they see one of us, they notice and they all take cover. When I'm fishing at one of the lakes at Ocean Shores, because they have that, when the deer come, they know we're pretty tame, but if you get a little close, they each go in opposite direction, kind of each man for each deer for itself. You could only get one at most now, and it was just I thought it was neat how they watched after their own
1: oh yeah
0: yeah, oh, yeah. well and and uh you know you, you there are places for freshwater fishing or were you saltwater fishing on, at ocean shore
2: it was both they had a they have a, a lake there that's it's called duck lake that measures 23 miles but it coils back and forth constantly so for 23 miles it's pretty condensed it's just like a long zigzagging channel but it leads out to the ocean so i have caught landlocked salmon and rainbow trout and brought them back to our place to have a nice fish fry interesting so, yeah and it's open year round
1: interesting really so you don't
2: you don't need a license you need a license all right but uh have strong line oh. you
1: don't know what you're gonna get that's, Don't know that's, if you're that's gonna get that salmon or the trout, huh? yeah, yeah, i
2: come home with each. Uh kokanee landlocked salmon. And when you say
0: landlocked salmon, what do you mean?
2: Well, it means that there are salmon in lakes referred to landlock, and there's different theories how they got there. And it's called kokanee. Like, for example, a stillhead is an ocean-going trout. So you get a mix where salt water and fresh water are kind of Accepted on both
0: ends. Steelhead or trout? I thought they were salmon.
2: Steelhead are an ocean going trout. That's what they actually are.
0: Oh. See, everybody, you've learned something today that you probably didn't care to know anyway, but that's okay. It's good, it's good for us to learn. Yeah. So Eric, have you written now I know that you don't want to talk about it, but you did run into a big thing while you were in a tent. (laughs) And you can't really say exactly what it was. No, uh, I didn't
1: get a look at it. I didn't get a look at it. But it was so one of those,
0: because you were cowering uh, in your sleeping bag.
1: Oh, it was frightening. It was frightening um, because the behavior was uh, so odd and so different. I had spent a lot of time up in Monroe because that property has been in our family. when well, my parents got it uh, in the 60s. So I've been up there a lot. And particularly when I was working on this cabin, you get to know the wildlife. You know, you get to know uh, the deer that come through. There was even a bear uh, that I'll talk about in a few minutes that I had an understanding with. Uh, uh, It lived in a hollowed out uh, trunk, probably mm, maybe 100 yards, 150 yards from where the building site was. And I would see this bear uh, frequently enough. And we had grown to kind of an understanding and I'd, I'd sit by the campfire at night and uh, the bear would uh, walk by me and it would always kind of growl a warning, you know, angrily um, as it went by. And, and the more it went by, it got less angry and occasionally it would just kind of trot by, move quack quickly past me, but it would go past. So we, we sort of had an understanding of leaving each other alone. So you know that that was uh, I enjoyed that. I seriously enjoyed my encounter with the bear. But to get to the point, there was a night uh, I was staying in the tent, and I'd left. I had a shotgun by this point uh, because of Monroe. There's there's uh and there's cougar. There was cougar reported around, and uh, you never know what was going to happen with a bear. I don't think I'd ever shoot anything. I'd shoot it in the air. But there are people I was concerned about Um, because as secure as this property is, and it does, it is uh, well taken care of, but it's wild. You know, there's 365 acres up there, so you can't control all of it. And there was a policeman that uh, liked to run on the logging road, and he didn't have much of a sense of humor. But he would run by pretty regularly, about 5, 5.30 in the morning. I'd be cooking my breakfast making my coffee. And, you know, we'd say hi to each other. And uh, there wasn't much uh, discussion, but he's always pleasant and uh, professional as he wrote, dro- run, ran by. And, of course, I knew the bear, what the bear sounded like. And I knew the deer that came through. And they always avoided you. They always avoided me. And other creatures, like I mentioned, there were beaver And there were some marmots, and otters, and hawks, and eagle. You see all that stuff. And and over the amount of time that I've been up there, I got to know the wildlife pretty well, and even well enough to know when I might see them. They all have patterns. And this was about 3.30 in the morning. And the lake would be where I was sleeping. The lake was situated to my right. And there was a deer path that went down the lake through some brambles blackberry bushes and wild bushes. And that trail maybe started, oh, maybe 50 feet from where I was at, maybe less than 35 feet. And to my left would be, up a little rise would be the logging road. And I was sleeping in like a, oh, it was a four-man tent, just to give you the amount of size. And that night uh, I left uh, my shotgun in the cabin. It didn't have a roof at the time. It was just framed. And I had a machete that I used to clear brush and all that kind of stuff. and that I left outside the tent. And it was about 3:30 in the morning, and I was tired but not sleeping. And I heard on this trail some steps. and it wasn't the bear because you could tell how the bear for there's a rhythm to the walking. And it wasn't a deer because deers have four legs. It was just two. And I heard this. Mm. And the voice would change. It wasn't a. Mm. It was a. Mm. And I heard this deep breathing. And this breath. It was voluminous. And it came up near the tent. And I was What the fuck is that? And I couldn't make it out. And I heard this. mm mm-hmm. And then the tent, something poked in like a finger, and it didn't just, you know, bend. It went in like this, right over my head, like this, and I just froze up, because who the fuck would do this? Nobody, this is what I have to say about Monroe. Everybody has guns. So you don't mess around on other people's properties because you will get shot. And some of the locals will tell you, don't don't go over there without letting people know because you'll get shot. And we have this is shared property. We have signs everywhere, private property, you'll be shot. Don't, Don't come in here. So I couldn't figure out what's going on. It wasn't a deer that was poking this in. And this would be so uncharacteristic of the cop of what i knew about this guy he would not play a prank on me like this so i was absolutely frozen in fear and as this thing breathed heavily and made these grunting sounds it uh walked back towards the lake again down that trail rather quickly and went through the brush. You could hear it kind of moving and then through the trees and up, uh, up towards the lake and out. And I sat there for a while wondering what the hell I was going to do. And I waited for the sunlight to come up. And so it was probably about 4.30, quarter to five when it started to get lighter. And I didn't hear anything for a while. In fact, everything was quiet for a while. And the birds were a little bit slower to making their sounds because there's a lot of birds. I love it up there with all of the birds uh, that start singing in the morning. It's, it's amazing. And they were quiet for a while. So about a quarter to five, I, I worked up the nerve. Well, my bladder decided that uh, <laughs> it was time that I go out regardless of what was going to happen. And I grabbed my machete. And this was before I really understood what a Bigfoot was. I didn't really know. This was before my awareness of it really happened. So I didn't really think to look around. I didn't think to look for footprints. I didn't think to look for anything else. I had no idea what this was. Just that it was big. It was grunting in a way that I could almost understand what it was saying. And I was terrified. I didn't smell I didn't smell anything, and I don't know why. Well, I don't have a very good sense of smell. You know, I know there's that, but I didn't smell anything unusual. So I got out to the tent. I didn't see anything, and I started making my breakfast. I thought, well, maybe it was the cop. You know, maybe he was playing a prank on me. And sure enough, at his regular time, About a half hour later, he comes running by, and he's not in the mood to talk. He just, morning, morning, and he just scoots by on his way. About a year later, I was listening to a radio program uh, of a Native American. She would tell stories, and she told this story of a Sasquatch. And In this story, she was talking about some campers that had the same thing happen to them where something came up, poked the tent, but they got a look at it that, you know, something big in the shadows as it walked away. And I thought, oh, fuck, that, that kind of makes sense. And, and a chill went down my spine. But uh, I decided to, you know, I'm going to look into this. So I started listening to different shows and uh, starting to do a little bit of, you know, not research, but hearing as much about Sasquatch as, you know, I could. And it sort of rang true that it was probably a Bigfoot. Now, a few years ago, a friend of mine, that uh, Pam, the lady that I share a house with, she went up there with me, and we were riding our camp in the canoe, and she had this feeling we were being watched, and she's a photographer. So she started taking generalized pictures, you know, around the place, and she said, you know, somebody's out there. And I couldn't see anything and just sort of blew it off. But later, it was about a week later after our trip, she uh, sent me this email that said, look at this. And she had a picture of a Bigfoot.
0: Did she ever share that with anybody?
1: Yeah, I've got it. I've got the picture of it.
0: Wow. Was it, was it like... In the, in the uh, foliage, so you couldn't see all of it, or was it... It was standing? in the foliage,
1: but you can see its face. It's looking at It's looking at it.
0: Might have been the same feller.
1: Quite possibly. Quite possibly. You know, because uh, there's a lot of theories about them, that they're migratory, that they move through, and that would be a good place for them to migrate through, because... You know, there's a, a lot of food sources, and there's room to move around up there. This is Woods Lake, and the other side is uh, not very well developed at all. In fact, you could walk up several miles and not see another house.
0: So, so you actually had signs on your property that said, "No trespassing. Trespassers will be shot."
1: Gun laws enforced here. Oh, I'll we'll have to get the right verbiage to you, but it's you know they have guns up there. The other so, owners go up there and they they shoot their guns. There's guns up there.
0: Did you ever sleep in that tent again? No, <laughs> no, I didn't. In fact,
1: so. uh, I used to hike at night, and I don't go out into the woods anymore. Not after figuring out that it's probably a Bigfoot. I just don't go out there anymore. I don't want to mess with it. I don't want to mess with it. You know, some people have peaceful encounters because, for the most part, they want to stay, you know, they want to keep their own, uh, their own space and avoid us, you know, understandably, because we're horrible. But uh, I don't want any part of it. I don't want to make that eye-to-eye contact. I think that eye-to-eye contact would be more horrifying to me than having them uh, grab
0: me and, and hit me against a tree, you know? Yeah, no, I I agree. Matt, have you, uh, I know you're a ghost guy. Have you ever studied uh, a Bigfoot at all? I have studied them to try
2: to decide if they do or do not. And then we have people like Eric with an amazing story. And I met other people of this caliber, same thing. And so I don't know if they do or do not exist, but I want to learn more. I want to hear more. My understanding is that they have an unforgettable scent to them that the reports I've heard, they say that comes with it. You did not, however, catch anything. But um, I've been at campsites where people were telling me they did see one and it was not a bear in its hind legs. And they would talk about it and that they're basically very sophisticated, a different kind of human form, so to say. A higher level of intelligence that we give to most animals, and for that reason, they survive very well undetected.
1: Uh, I, ha- I have, I have, I have a theory about them, and you know I've watched a number of shows, and nobody has one. And like they say, nobody has one in their garage, so nobody's an expert there. Mother saw it in high school, but my theory is that uh, they're most likely one of the original human types. And they have an equal or better intelligence than us, and we've been genetically manipulated. We're not natural to the planet at this point, but they still are, and their they're gifts, indigenous. Yes, they're indigenous, and their gifts have given them something very strong,
0: and that we just lost and don't have. And Kayla says the next day because her mother, her mother saw one in high school, and the next day. The newspaper where my, her mother was, Bigfoot was spotted. So it's you know, and th- there have been so many encounters with them, um, and so many uh, footprints and and all of that. It's it's hard to imagine. But but as you know, Eric, up in the Cascades or wherever they 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 are, you can you can hide virtually forever in there if you know what you're doing.
1: Yeah, that's right. And you mentioned Louisiana, you know, where they have the uh, the people that live there and not come out for years, and they call them boogers down there.
0: And, and uh, yep, yeah, they got a whole different lifestyle, and they are in the swamps, and they've learned how to adapt and live in the swamps, and uh, they can coexist with the alligators and and with the snakes and with all of that stuff. Um, I, I guess and my my grandfather who lived in florida used to tell me that they used to go with in bare feet in the water and all over the place and it was like but they got snakes there and they got spiders there and it's like i got to wear hip boots
1: yeah I don't, this is this is one of the reasons why i stay in the northwest i love the northwest it's me beautiful too. we got everything up here but we don't have gators <laughs> I have a friend of mine that moved to the Florida Keys. And this was back, oh, probably 30 years ago when she moved there. And they were kind of on the outskirts of town. And and they bought this house with a pool. And she goes swimming every morning. And she get on the dive board, you know, and dive in. And one morning she decided to look at the water. And she saw that there was an alligator in her water. Oh, God. (laughs) so she didn't dive in she had to call the service they actually have a service where people come out and, and pull their pesky gator out
0: yeah and and of course now we've they've got the bigger problem which is i didn't can think there was a bigger problem than than an alligator but now it's the uh the bow constrictors that got released into the wild that are not indigenous to the area and they are causing major major havoc to to the alligator population as well as all the other populations down there it's amazing jackasses, jackasses. I, yeah <laughs> and Kayla may says that we are the only ones that wear clothes here everything else is acclimated to here but us mm-hmm. think of that well you don't have to wear clothes but in most of us would prefer that we do um that's why they call it indecent exposure <laughs> that's exactly right and because you know that's it see clothes is a is a marvelous invention because it can hide the things that you want hidden and actuate the things that you want actuated that's and right. that's even a word that's um, right. so you know we are and we can be very colorful Matt
2: oh I love watching the weather Channel and they did a documentary on about how man is not indigenous to this world. And it's what Kayla said, we have to wear clothing, we get sunburn, cataracts, everything, and everything else fits here quite nicely. And we're actually part of the food chain. We we have our predators out there because they know of our vulnerability and everything. And just what we have to do to survive as people and it was just an amazing documentary, but it's what you two are saying, and I could only agree with it.
1: Oh, I got to see that. Yeah.
2: It was fascinating. It just held my attention.
0: Yeah, I can see why. Now, you guys are, are of a certain age, and you were around in the 70s. And there was, I'd never seen anything like this before um, in any movie that I'd ever watched. And that was um, we went to see. We went to and they for those that are a little younger, there used to be these things called drive-ins, and oh, what yeah. you would do is you would go to the drive-in and you would watch the movie at least part of it, and when it got dark, anyway. And that's a no now, now
1: K- Kayla, a, a drive-in is an outdoor theater with <laughs> yeah. a big screen, and you and, drive in your car or you know station wagon if you are. You know, or van, if uh, you're on a date, and you'd pull up and and they would bring food out to you, or you would go and get food and bring it back to the car.
0: And Some gotta, people watch movies. That's right. <laughs> and Some people what, watch
1: movies. Yeah. And
0: one time I was at this drive-in and and I saw this film called Jaws. And so it was the first time I'd ever seen anything like that ever. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, um, because you know, and nobody had taught, I had no idea what a great white shark was until I saw that movie. And and it was it, I, every time I went, I held after that, I went into a swimming pool and I was <laughs> thinking about that and, and didn't want to do that anymore. And Matt, we were on the
2: east coast visiting my grandmother for the last time when we first saw it, the movie came out. And there was a frenzy where local people were putting it upon themselves to kill any shark you would see. Oh, so you'd man. see these people on docks smiling. There's a wide variety of sharks, uh, excuse me, of shark species, but people immediately panicked and overreacted on that.
0: Oh yeah, well that movie was so was so real that it, you know how you can tell when the movie is really good in a drive-in. Wow, when you can, you, you know when. When you can hear people scream and popcorn fly in other cars. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's when you know it is a really, really good movie. It's like Wah! and you see the popcorn fly <laughs> and car in front of you.
1: Now, now, how long was it till you took a shower after that? Uh minutes. <laughs> minutes. <laughs> oh, you're a brave man. I it took me, I don't know, a couple of days before I took a shower.
0: Really? Oh Even yeah, because that drain,
1: man. I kept an eye on that drain.
0: <laughs> well, and that that's see, we're lucky here because we don't ever have to um worry, at least I don't think we do, that when you're in a hurry to take um a, a number two <laughs> and, you, and you lift the lid. <laughs> And there's a yeah. snake in the... Oh, in the... man. Can you, can you imagine? I don't think I'd, I'd ever go again. Matt?
2: With sharks, the average shark attack is within two feet deep of water because they understand that some food source is going from the shore entering the water, and they come in. But it's two feet deep, the average shark attack. And I watched a film of people on islands where sharks would take a run and literally run up on the beach to get somebody who was like on the shore. They were yeah. on the shore, on the sand, but they would do that and then kind of roll back or whatever, so um, it's it's more than just being in the water.
0: <laughs> Still a fear to have is having a snake in the pooper. especially <laughs> if you don't drop that aquarium lid down well enough. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is that is so true well you know uh animals and us we don't we, and you're right we don't get along all that well and and with with most animals um and w- there's a fear factor there that we all that we all have except except these guys that willingly go and uh um and go like St- what steve Irwin used to do
1: oh yeah
0: yeah that was so yeah. sad he
1: yeah uh... He kind of pushed things a little farther than he should have. I'm not dissing the guy, you know, but he probably went a little bit too far a number of times. That wasn't the cause of his demise. That I think was truly an accident. But I think a lot of times he went a little bit farther than he needed to.
0: Well, yeah. Yeah. The, 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 that was tough. That that was that was really hard. So, Matt, what are you what are you thinking?
2: Well, I love this topic because we got a whole animal kingdom out there to deal with. And so I want to go back to the domestic side on my website. You see me at ocean shores with a nice, uh, golden retriever. That was Dolly named after Dolly Parton and Dolly was one of those dogs where people had to stop and pet her, you know, (laughs) just that sign pet me. Well, anyway, what we would do is if we were going to go on a road trip, we would put a bandana on the dog, like the F troop guys had, cause that meant road trip and the dog would be doing oh cartwheels. It would gosh. be crazy. So we're getting ready and the thing's licking and then getting, watching us pack a picnic. And one day when we put a bandana on moments later, it was gone. Where did the dog go? And we searched, you know, we we're in the apartment at the time of the backyard. I look out in the parking lot and the dog was stretched out in front of the front tires of my truck. So you're not going anywhere. It was stretched out as far as you could stretch out, touching the front wheels with that bandana, that oh, look of determination, wow. like this vehicle can't move unless I'm in it. Oh. And I, I, I liked that. It broke my heart. Yeah.
0: So did you take the dog with you?
2: Oh, we always took the dog. We always did. But for whatever reason, it just wanted to make extra sure it would not be left behind. Oh,
1: that's a, that's yeah. Isn't that amazing. amazing?
2: It was. It knew eventually we would be in that truck. Yeah.
0: So yeah. what did end up happening with that dog?
2: Oh, I came out, scratched, and it got all excited. The door opened. It climbed in, its spot, and off we went.
0: No, I mean, it's it's life. Oh,
2: it served its time, and we had to lay it down. Uh, Golden Retrievers last between 12 to 14 years on the average, and we were right in the middle there. But the time had come where it was the right thing to do, and uh, the dog had a wonderful life. My parents have a fun dog to play with now.
0: But it, it's still the most heart-wrenching, awful experience yes. in the world to put a dog down.
2: Oh, yes. Yes, it is. It, um, man's best friend. Unconditional love. Yeah.
0: Yes. But Indians were in, all, in communication with all animals and still are. Maybe when, Eric, maybe you should talk about this. Uh, maybe we should have less fear of animals and trust them. Because I want to pet all animals before I die. Go, uh, well, that might be why you die if you pet the <laughs> wrong animal. Is yeah. what I'm saying. Um, you can't pet a, a, a bear. That just, uh, no. Did, did you hear about that guy that he, he thought that he was, uh, he had a, a group of a family of bears that lived right next to him. And he thought that he had gained their trust and stuff. And that he was in his, they ate him. Oh,
2: he came God. from California all the way up to Alaska with a girlfriend. To show that he could walk in, and then they showed the pictures afterwards, and then they got one of the bears. But um, how foolish! That's their side of the fence, and uh, he he
1: stood corrected. <laughs> Is that the grizzly man? Grizzly. Yes. Yeah, that's foolish. You gotta know. You gotta know your place when you encounter animals, and you do have a place, because. Uh, you can't uh, you can't think of animals in human terms. That's where we go wrong, even with domesticated pets. And and Kevin, I, I know you know this well because you speak to Coriel, that uh, she discusses about how they communicate. Oh yes, and they do communicate differently. And you if you're going to encounter wild animals and survive, you need
0: to be open to that. Yes, you do. Well, you know, in, in an interesting story, we had a domestic cat um his name was monty and we got him from a friend was he Uh, a full monty uh, (laughs) yes as a matter of fact matter of fact we got him from rick and mary from that from their area people across the street and this particular breed of cat they made must have been part feral or something because they were very very aggressive and, um, and, but we brought, we took him home and we had a dog and, and the cat stood up to the dog and everything was fine. And they uh, formed a nice relationship. We ended up having to give the cat away because I swear to God, I, we had, a, we, I, we lived in a cul-de-sac. Our neighbor had a little, uh, had a white cat and he was, he was tiger, um, um, kind of calico-ish kind of thing. And, uh, I saw him go after that cat jumped the fence onto the roof, and pinned the cat against the fireplace. Oh, no. The cat was howling and screaming for, oh. because my cat was going to kill that cat. So my, the following weekend, my brother, who lived in Granite Falls, and his, his, he and his wife were over, and they were talking about the fact that they were being overrun by varmints. Uh, mice and 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 stuff, and they they had had a bunch of cats, uh, but the cats kept disappearing. Um, so they entered the food chain at one point or another, and uh, and they couldn't get rid of the varmints. So we said, "Boy, have we got the cat for you?" So we gave him we gave him that cat, and he within three months there wasn't a varmint to be found anywhere because he just took advantage of it, and uh, and. And took and had a nice meal. Turned, got to be a real big cat, um, and and he stayed outside a lot. And so one day, as my brother told it, um, he was he was naked in bed uh, sleeping, and he hears and the cat's outside, and he hears this horrible horrible noise, and it's the cat screaming at the top of the top of its lungs. And, uh, and so he goes downstairs cause he lived in a lot that the bed was in a loft and he, and he opened the door and the cat comes screaming in at, at full speed. And then my brother, uh, shut the door behind him, turned around to look at the cat. And he heard this bump. Oh, and he looked around and he thought he saw a shadow of something that was on his porch Uh so there was he had the door and then there was a, a window right next to the door so you could look out so he grabs a flashlight and he creeps up to the door looks out the window pops the flashlight turns it on and there are these two big eyes looking back at him it was a cougar that that was chasing the cat and wow. and scared the hell out of my brother and he fell back over and and then they and the and the cat was like see i told you it's a good thing you let me in because you know, he, he was gonna eat me and and wow. so this is so this was right out there in granite falls Man. um so it was it was tough yeah. uh, but the cat survived um but later on the cat did join the food chain when they got a little older matt
2: there's been more than one occasion, one report, where a child and infant fell into the monkey cage at a zoo and that the mother gorilla, whatever, would take the child and protect it, hold it, love it, calm it down, and then hand the child back to the trainers. That's been reported at least twice that I know of. Isn't
1: that wonderful? Yeah, I've heard of the same stories. And, you know, maybe some of the other uh, chimpanzees weren't happy that that child was there and may have done harm if the mom wasn't there.
0: Yeah, Matt.
1: I've got a real good one for you. Years
2: and years ago, there was a nun I knew who went to the Vatican with my mom. And when she was dying of Parkinson's, I would visit her. I would pick her up, walk her down the stairs, put her in my pickup, and we would drive all day in the country. And so Netta Wilson was probably 80 pounds. She had the mind of a college professor because she had written books, college-level textbooks. And she also wrote a biography about Gabriel Towers when the church changed from Latin to English, part of her life, whatever. An amazing person, and she loved cats. So often I would get a cat, bring it to her room, and she'd get the pet on it till it was time to go home. Well, before she was in the Seattle area, she was in another resting home for a nuns in California, and it had a floor cat. And every night, she knew to keep her bedroom door cracked open because she could hear that cat's paws coming down the linoleum floor, enter her room, and then hop on her bed and circle many, many, many times and nest there. So, this is in California. She had just moved to Seattle and she had a pen pal. They'd write back and forth. And the pen pal said, I'm sorry to say, but the cat is gone. It it had died. That night, Netta, when she was getting ready to sleep, heard those paws going down the linoleum floor of her new residence. And then she felt that cat. She could sense it enter her room and she felt it jump on her bed, go to the same corner, and circled many, many times, finally nested there for the night of sleep. And this is a nun sharing this spiritual event with me. Wow. It was so comforting for her to know that that soul of the cat was ongoing, it was omnipresent, and it chose to be with her as it lived.
0: That's pretty cool. That, that yep. That's pretty cool. Because, you know, I've seen... When I I had my I, my favorite dog of all times, name was Crockett, and uh, he got um, he got stomach cancer when he was eight years old, um, and we had to we had to put him down. And uh, while I was, have either of you been in the room when an animal's been when you've had to put an animal down? Yeah. Do you look in their eyes? Yeah. Do you notice that? It's almost, it was like almost as if the light went out of his eyes and it was, it it was like his essence, his soul was, had departed at that moment and it was, it was amazing. It was amazing to watch and it was, it was sad and comforting at the same time because I knew that he was, that, that, that light, that essence um meant he continued yes. and and the other thing is have you have you ever now they don't do it as much anymore but when I was a kid they used to have open open uh, coffins for memorial services you know yeah. they don't do that so much anymore but in those days they did and no matter what the people tried to do they could not give The people that i was looking at i i don't know if you guys have ever experienced this but the people that i remember my grandfather on one side my grandfather on the other side they had a particular way that their face looked when they were alive and when they could not duplicate that look oh no matter what they did, they they could not make them, and that's part of being alive, having a soul, and being part of it because that's that's the connection that keeps it all together. Does that make sense to you guys? Yes, my
2: ex-wife had an open casket and um at for a memorial, and nobody could recognize her, and it's exactly what you were saying.
1: Well, they've they've and also did that
2: facial expression, that punch of joy that her body reflected through you know facial expressions and so forth
1: we also weigh we're also a little bit lighter after we pass because they've actually studied this and there is a we weigh a little bit more when we're alive than when we're dead and you can't explain that
0: no without talking about you know the life force and i there there is there has to be i you know maybe maybe it's wishful thinking but i can't believe that 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 we just cease to exist no i
1: think it's ongoing you know who was it uh einstein was talking about ener- energy doesn't end it just transforms exactly you know, so we're subjected to the laws. No, no matter what our arrogance says that we're not part of the animal kingdom, um, we're still part of. You know, we're still part of the energetic process that holds the universe together, and there's no escaping that.
0: Exactly, Matt. Any idea? Any thoughts?
1: Well, I agree
2: with that. We've been on these topics in other shows, but. When my dad, his last few years, two different times, he was clinically off the charts and came back. And the first time he said he was talking to his mother, I knew mom was always there. And the second time he saw the family gathering around sad and he said he felt guilty about it. He said, so he just thought he would come back and do it another time. And I said, thanks, that's big of you. Oh, don't worry about it. And then he forgot about it moments later, but the nurse said, here's the catch. He was clinically off of, you know, flat lines. He was gone by our definition. And he picked everybody in the right spot, including people who entered after he was gone, supposedly. And just verify, but it's what we're saying. Uh, all of us get that feeling that that loved one played a role in something that just happened. It, it could only have been them.
1: Can only bend them, and and they animals know when it's time. I'll, I'll share about my last cat. Yes, that was uh, this was probably one of the most heartbreaking moments that I had to live through, because uh, I was living up in Monroe, and she loved being with me. She would when I'd go up to Monroe on the property, uh, I took her up there, and she would hang out. Uh, she'd sit on the wood pile and she'd watch me do my work, and she wouldn't venture too far. She always stayed in sight. Because she was an older cat she'd know that I'd protect her so she always kept me in sight and when I slept in the tent she slept in there with me and when I go back to the you know the my buddy's house she'd she'd go with me and she always stayed near and we were you know great friends we'd communicate uh, you know how it is when you have a pet and she was old she was about 20 21 years old at this point wow that's she, that is old that is I think when animals are happy, they stick around. They stick around. And she was living a good life, but she did get sick and her kidneys started to shut down and she started to go blind and it became difficult to take care of her and watch watching her shrink, you know, old cats get small and they lose weight and their skin sort of hangs in funny places and they show their age and it was heartbreaking. and. I knew it was time to put her down. But there was no way that I had it in my power to do this. And I just looked at her one day because she was beaming at me. And cat owners know what I mean when I say beaming. Because they sort of beam at you, you know. They, they watch you. And if you lock eyes with them and if you know them well, you know what they're telling you. And she said she was telling me, it's time. And I knew what she meant. And I heard, I heard her say. It's time. So I waited one more week. I said, Kayla, Kalar, want one, one more week. And I'm gonna take next weekend off. And I want to spend the time with you. And she she rested at that point. She she beamed at me and, and she laid down and she kept me, you know, she looked at me for a while. Yeah, Kalar. And the next weekend came and Uh, True to my word, I spent the weekend with her because I kept groceries there. And we just spent the weekend. I was painting at the time. And I'd sit at my easel, and she'd sit at my lap. And we spent the last weekend together. And Monday morning came. And I had called a vet to come to the house, my buddy's house. And we set up the kitchen table. And we set it up so that uh, we could put her down on the table. And Kalar knew. This was our last weekend together. And she spent the time on my lap that she could. Um, she spent uh, every moment we spent together. And when it came time to pick her up on that table, you know, I hugged her for a while. And she purred her soft purr that she always did. And this uh, veterinarian, I'll always remember because I was uh, a weak old fool that did not have the strength. But I held that cat and I saw her eyes go out and I said, oh, my gosh, she's gone. And I knew the moment that she left us and I started shaking and I couldn't stand. And that uh, veterinarian was so kind to me. She just uh, she hugged me and held me up and helped me sit down. Absolutely wonderful. And I took a couple more days off. I called my boss the next day who is also a cat fanatic. And he says, yeah, take the time that you need. And I took two more days because there was no way after doing stuff like that, when you lose your best friend, there's no way you can face the world of any confidence that you're not going to break down. (sighs) I'm still on the verge now. It's impossible to let somebody go like that. Yeah, we had several moments. We had several moments when we could communicate. When I first got to know her well, because she was kind of, I named her Kalar, for anybody that knows Star Trek, that was Worf's mate, who had kind of a sense of humor, was uh, a little bit aggressive and a prankster. Uh, that that was uh, Kalar. And she would, uh, sometimes when I'd go up and downstairs, she'd be, be hiding under the stairs and attack my ankles and run, <laughs> look back at me. And, and, you know, that sort of smile that they had. She'd always do stuff. She was a very playful cat, and we connected in a lot of ways. Um, so I made a lot of connections with her, and that was out of the number of cats that I've had to put down in my life, all of them difficult, all of it horrific, this was probably the worst uh, and most difficult thing that I had ever had to do.
0: It's it's really hard, Matt.
2: I volunteer for seniors a lot. And my friend Ella was a cat lover. She had ferals and she had one cat named Phoebe that was up there like around 20 years, I believe. And Phoebe was fighting to stay alive to please Ella. And Ella was holding the cat and she said, Phoebe, it's okay, you can go now. And Phoebe just acknowledged and relaxed and then how you describe that light she witnessed that but the cat was doing everything imaginable to have longevity out of love for ella yes
1: when they're happy they stick around they stick around they know they've got a great friend and they they know they make your life good and that's what they enjoy doing and they know they're going to be happy and safe and uh, they're enjoying their time so they stick with you and they communicate with you if you listen and watch.
0: You know, if you listen. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Matt.
2: My, I'm the youngest boy, youngest of four boys, second of the youngest of six kids. And my brother Frank and Dan were coming home from grade school, and a kitten followed them, and they detected that. So Frank picked up the cat, brought it mm-hmm. home and we declared ownership, and he named it after his best friend in school, who was Preston. So Preston made it to about 19 years. I was a senior in high school when we had a layer down, and she had seniority. She'd been a member of the family longer than I was. But what Preston would do is, when we were growing up, she would sit on the front porch like the RCA dog, and it wasn't until the last one of us children came in that she'd walk right behind. If there were just five of us out, it would just stay there raining. When my sister, oldest sister, went off to boarding school, she spent over a month manning her post until one night she said uncle and finally came in because she knew that one of us was not accounted for.
1: Amazing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. A typical family cat.
1: There you go. I think (laughs) they look out for us in a lot of ways that maybe we're not aware. They know about us. Yes, yeah,
0: well, if you listen to Coriel or if you listen to uh Kayla, they'll tell you that they're they're psychic uh they're very empathic, and they can take on the uh um the feelings of their their owner that's that's close to them um and they know, and they also have got a different view of death than we do. they're not scared of it yeah, they, that, that
1: pisses me off <laughs> <laughs> <the same. laughs> yeah. yeah
2: yes we. <laughs> A very good friend of mine from the job I retired from, unfortunately, he lost his son when his son was 19, I believe. And his son had, they the family had a cat, but they said it was Alan's cat. And the mom and dad would just feel that Alan was in the room, and they'd call out to the cat, and the cat would just kind of sit there, sniffs, move around, and then it would just leap at an unk, at an angle as if he was trying to get a moth or something but they interpret that that their son was visiting and that the cat could pinpoint it and he would just find a specific part of the room and then leap at a different angle like he's here wow
0: Wow. stunning it does happen If, if you listen to kayla if you listen to coriel if you or or you know we've got a Um, I don't know if you guys have listened to it, the, uh, interview I did with John Edward, uh, who's a, uh, world renowned psychic medium. Mm. And he talks about, um, how these, these bodies of ours are nothing more than like a used car. And when we're, when we're done with the used car, when it no longer works, we just step out of the car and, uh, and it's still us. We're still the same. Um, people like Bill Nye, I don't know if you've read recently what he had to say. He poo-pooed the idea of life after death. I think really? that, that, yeah, and I think that that man, number one, he doesn't have a science degree, um, but he's he's just, he's a goofy dude, and uh, I, I, I can't imagine living your life saying, okay, when I die, that's it, there's nothing, I'm I'm gone, no hopes, no dreams, no family, nothing. Oh yeah, well, and apparently you can communicate. Well, see, that brings up I've had my thing. moments.
1: I've had my moments, I will tell you. Brings even up wild an animals, experience. even wild animals. Yeah, I've had a connection. I had a deer kiss me once. Really? Really? Yeah.
0: Lick my face. No kidding. Yeah. They had they had a sense about you. I found it in deer. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's, that's very
1: <laughs> <laughs> No, but animals animals live their own lives. They have their own energy, and if you can tap into that, it's a uh, you know I think it's a feather in your hat, so to
0: speak. <laughs> I, oh no, I my feather's more. gone. Oh, Uh-oh. there it is. Oh, there you go. There you go. You know, the one thing that uh, um, the one wild animal that I'm very interested in are crows. Oh,
1: man. Yes. I got a great story about a crow, but go ahead. A lot. No, no, a lot. Good. Go on.
0: No, and just, just the fact that we are just now finding out how intelligent these things are, these crows are. They, can, they have a memory that they can, they can remember you from 10 years ago, they're saying. Anyway, They're go on. ahead with your story. They're on. I, well, I've
1: got a couple of stories about crows, but I'll stick to the big one. When I was doing design work, there's a house out in Bellevue that um, I was the old project manager of. So we were building this house for a client and I'd have to go out there and, you know, look at the progress and, you know, write up reports and cover everything, make sure everything was going as it was supposed to. And they were framing this house and the contractor was calling me and said, Hey, we got uh, we're running a little bit behind, we've had trouble with a crow. I said, Crows made you run behind? He said, Well, you know, not bad, but uh, it's harassing the crew. And a couple of the guys are, are saying that they're not uh, not going to work on this site, so I've got to hire some new framers, they're going to be out here tomorrow. And I said, Oh, all right, so I went out to the site. And sure enough, there's a crow flying around harassing the, the people that are working on the house. And it was swooped down and they'd duck, hey. you know, try to avoid this crow that would scream at them as they'd come by. So I went out there and the crow, of course, swept down and I didn't flinch. I just stood there. I didn't move. And I wasn't wearing a hat at the time. just. And it landed on my shoulder. And you know, I looked at it, and it cawed pretty loudly. And I, you know, greeted, "Hello, how you doing? You're causing some trouble, man." And we had a little conversation. Some people were trying to work. What's up? <clears throat> and I was in the impression this was one of those pet crows, and it was just looking for some human companionship. And people didn't understand because you know, not many people know that crows make great pets. But I understand they make great pets. Don't do that to a crow. But I understand if circumstances uh, create that create that circumstance, then wonderful. But I think in this case, uh, this crow had befriended some human beforehand, was just looking for some human companionship. So I walked around, did my job, took the measurements, make sure everything was going well, and it was time for me to go. And I told the crow, "Hey, man, it's time for me to go." And you know, I I kind of you know put my hand there, and it pecked you know lightly on it, like no. You know or you know checking my hand for food and i said okay you know we will get the idea when i get in my car so i opened my car door and i i i stepped in and the crow didn't get off and i said okay so i started up my car and i opened up the windows thinking okay i'll fly out as soon as i start moving so i start down the road kind of slowly and the crow is hanging with me and I'm starting to approach the freeway. The crow is still there. And I'm thinking, well, what the hell am I going to do? So I rolled up the window because I didn't want the crow to fly out when I'm at freeway speed. And I thought, okay, well, the crow will get frightened or something. And it will fly out as soon as I cross the 520 bridge. I'll just pull over to the side, open up the window, and it'll fly away. So I go across, and this crow makes himself comfortable. He's happy to preen. You know, and then he's looking out the window, and I'm just going down the freeway. He's perfectly calm to sit with me. So I make it home. This is probably a 35, 40-minute drive. And I pull into my driveway, and I put the window down. The crow does not get off. So I grab my uh, briefcase and a couple of other things that I had, and I head for my door. And I'm thinking all the time, the, do- the crow is going to fly away. I open up the door and uh, KLR meets me and goes, what the fuck is that? And <laughs> she, run, she runs under the bed, you know, just to get away from this crow that just goes bah! like that at her. So I walk around the house with this crow while well, I put down my stuff, get myself a drink of water. And I go to the bathroom. The crow is still with me. And I go out to the deck thinking, okay, well, now the crow will leave. So I open up the door, I step out on the deck, and the crow hangs with me for a minute, and then it flies to the fence, and I can see it sort of getting its bearings, and it looks uh, towards Bellevue, looks back at me, go ah, and it f- flies off.
0: Stunning. That's a great story. Isn't that amazing? And uh, Kayla's got another one too. Working in Woodenville at the Woodenville Taco Bell. I can't believe she worked at Taco Bell. Uh, I called him the crusty eye crow for every day for my lunch. He would sit by me, so I would feed him and eat lunch with the crow. Can't get um, better than that. No, it you get
1: better than that.
0: When when I was at uh, uh, driving a bus, there was a gal that used to take uh, Ritz crackers, and you know the round rich crackers, and she would throw like four or five out, and a particular crow not wanting to leave them for somebody else would actually stack them <laughs> oh my god was smart enough to stack them up four or five and then fit it in his beak and away they went um it's amazing matt
2: at one time scientists said the distinction between men and animals is that mankind builds tools to serve them and then one day they saw a crow with a long piece of wire It bent the end of the wire, so it's now like a hook. It grabbed the opposite end and flew on top of a pop bottle and used that wire with the hook to get something out of the bottle and eat it. And so that blew that theory. Uh, The seniors that I deal with, they do an awful lot of reading. They will read about crows, birds, whatever, just take it all in. And this one senior was so thrilled to share with me what she learned about this book about crows she said among other things crows hold their own court system if somebody is a bird or whatever is guilty of an infraction they hold court and address it accordingly but they have their judicial system so to say their set of laws
0: so what 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 can how can a crow break a law? What would be some of the laws? Do you have any idea, Eric?
2: Eric you seem to catch on to this. Maybe you could word it better. It's um, go ahead.
0: Well, um, my
1: experience with that, David Childs. Are you guys confer- con- familiar with David Childs? He's a behaviorist, wildlife mm-hmm. behaviorist, mm-hmm. and he he writes about uh, wildlife encounters. And he was on a hike down in Arizona, and he was going through these, uh, I forget what it is, but they're these caverns that you can walk through. And he was back pretty far. And he came into this uh, probably a couple of miles in, and he was going down these narrow car- corridors. And he was down probably, he describes it as, uh, I think it was about 75 feet below the level of the, the top of the caverns there. And he turned a corner and came across this long aisle and there were crows on both sides of this cavern, like hundreds, maybe even a thousand crows. And both sides, left and right, and on the end wall, there were a couple of crows. And he said he walked up silently it was like they were holding a meeting because they, the top, the crows in the front were chirping, were talking. Crow language, not human language. They were talking. And the other crows were engaged. And then the crows heard them, and they all looked right at him. All of these crows, hundreds of crows looked at him, and he said it was spooky. And he backed out, and he backed out. They're smart. They got something going on. In fact, um, a good friend of mine worked for Pacific Raceways, And they bought this, uh, they bought it from the previous company back, uh, I think it was around the 2000s. I can't remember the date. And one of the big issues up there that uh, customers would complain about was all the garbage that was caused by the crows. Because they would fly down on these trash cans and then spread garbage everywhere after the races. So you're trudging through the garbage. So they were going to spend money. They were going to figure out how to fix this. And this was one of her her jobs was to figure out how to keep the crows out of the garbage so the company spent ten thousand dollars on figuring out how to keep the garbage lid on because they needed it to be accessible and usable so they spent all this money on research and a couple months later they came up with this great garbage can and they put it out there the first raceway and they were confident that they had solved their crow problem well they had, there was a, she was out there after the race and there were crows circled on the top of this garbage can and there was a crow in the you know on one of the ends and it was making the command so that the crows started rocking this they would flutter and the other ones would push flutter back and push and they started rocking this garbage can and got it to tip over now think about and then the garbage fell out on the ground think about the communication that involves a crow had to come up with a plan and communicate and coordinate amongst a number of individuals. Yeah. man. Yeah. Well,
2: Many years ago when I was married, my wife and I were camping up at San Juan Island in the fall. We're at Warren State Park and we're the only people in the campsite. And it's kind of nice. Fall's coming in and we had a tall shopping bag that had all of our food, steaks, everything. And we're getting ready, and Janine, my former wife, yells out, look. And I look at the table. The food's gone. There are four crows that are each equidistant with their claws, and they're flying off with it. something that Israel would do as a military remover. <laughs> I started throwing pine cones, whatever. Finally, one of them lost their hold, and then they it started to go out of kilter. Then the whole thing was dropped. But it was I caught them in flight <laughs>
0: now you guys have also been around for a while again and and there was a movie that uh, also was um and it's a trivia quiz, and Alfred Hitchcock produced it
1: the birds. And directed
0: it and uh and Kayla May thought of it because apparently she saw it on reruns because it wasn't in the theaters when she saw it originally. She would freak out and think of the movie The Birds and run like hell. That was, I haven't seen that movie in years, but it was, it was another scary, scary moment in time.
1: Yeah, because, you know, it's believable that crows could turn on us. In fact, you know, birds out-number us, outnumber us by, you know, billion or so. Like, if aliens like, come to the planet, why would they think it's a human's world when there's so many birds? Right. I think it's in this country.
2: It's either in this country or England. But somewhere there is a specific chimney where there's a type of bird for whatever reason. Swifts. Yeah. And for whatever reason, thousands upon thousands go to that chimney and go inside it. There's something about that chimney and only that one.
1: They have one in Monroe like that. I wonder if that's the one you're talking about. Because there's uh, there's one in Monroe, this long, this chimney that used to be, it's, you know, several stories tall. And they can predict, they can predict the date, uh, you know, within a certain amount of time when the Swifts are going to return. And they make a night of it. They make nights of it. So they have outdoor music. Uh, you know, some, some band would be playing and uh, people will bring their lawn chairs and set up and watch these uh, thousands of birds come and, fly down this chimney in Monroe. It's still standing there. It's by, oh, I think it's at a school somewhere right off Main Street. Bugswood too, if we did not have cars in hand. Oh, this was a
2: regular, <laughs> this was a regular house and it was somewhere and it might've been that one, but they could not explain why those birds of all the chimneys on in, in the area, why only that one and always that one. They couldn't figure that out. Now here's another one in England, a man was cleaning out his chimney and he found a skeleton of a pigeon that had a capsule attached to it, a a homing pigeon.
1: Oh, cool.
2: And so what he did was he sent that to the government and they knew exactly what it was. It was coded information using only four letters and four numbers For the d-day invasion at normandy and it never arrived when that pigeon stopped in between and that kit it somehow got stuck in it and couldn't get out but that's what it was Damn! it was a carrier pigeon for that battle
1: that is wild somebody didn't get the message
0: and they used carrier pigeons back then to a great degree because there was that was more reliable than some of their uh, telepathic or not telepathic but the communications uh because they all needed wires and stuff and and the carrier pigeon homing pigeon yeah did. couldn't be
1: intercepted yeah
0: yeah so yeah. It's, we it's amazing it's just the the things that we you know and kayla i would love for your opinion on this remember oh day go ahead remember day of the dolphin go ahead
2: years ago we were the third or fourth owner of a minor bird And the minor bird would recite names that we couldn't recognize. It was from a former family that had it. And it would make the sound of an old water heater letting out steam because it was some cheap apartment. Well, one day, our minor bird, we we would let it out of the cage at some, you know, and it was a windy day and somebody was going through the back door and the thing was poised and made its move and it got outside. So Rodney is now free, like Elsie. And then we got a call about an hour or two later from a gas station neighborhood. Do you guys have a minor bird? And what it was was it landed in a mud puddle, and it kept chirping out the names of our family. You know, Matthew, Paul, Marguerite. Well, that sounds like the Shays. Wow. so by the gamble, they called, and yes, that was our bird. We got it back.
1: Wow, that's amazing. So do you think the bird knew who to call? I don't know.
2: It makes noises, and um, maybe if it got the other family, they would have gotten it first, wherever they lived. But that's what it was doing. It was reciting the household names, uh, get, drawing attention to itself, because that's a tropical bird. It's the Pacific Northwest. It's in a mud puddle. It's fall everything. But anyway, um, that's how we got it back.
1: That's amazing. And how
2: old was that bird? Rodney, I don't know. He was a few years old. And I think they lived to be quite, quite old, I think. But I, I don't know the true age. But uh, it was at least a good five years old, I would say.
1: I that's that's amazing, bird.
2: Rodney. <laughs> As you were.
0: yeah because because rodney never got any respect anyway (laughs) nobody Uh, respected rodney so um i was gonna ask kayla a question but it's has left my head and it's probably not coming back so eric come up with something interesting to say hummingbirds Oh, yes. Hummingbirds, you,
1: man. You here's, got attacked
0: by hummingbirds.
1: Here's another encounter that I had. I, I just When I was doing design work, I finished this project, a uh, living room and dining room for this uh, retired surgeon. And he had bought this house uh, overlooking Puget Sound, just north of Mukilteo. And he'd spent uh, about a decade building this garden to attract hummingbirds. And he put up this outdoor kitchen where he could entertain, and people could enjoy these hummingbirds. This was probably, oh, about 2000, 2008, 2010, in there somewhere. And they invited me up for dinner after we finished the project. And I was uh, amazed, because, you know, the view that he had of the Puget, of Puget Sound. And he said, you know, you could see the gray whales go through there and the pods, and the ships going back and forth. But he loved his uh, hummingbirds. And he had so many plants. This is a good-sized yard. And there were so many plants. And there were hundreds, maybe thousands of hummingbirds buzzing around this whole place. And um, he was cooking dinner on his outdoor stove. And his wife you know, and I were chatting about and carrying on and um, they had cats, which I thought was interesting that they kept, you know, hummingbirds and cats. And she says, well, the cats are rarely a problem. They, they seem to leave the hummingbirds alone. And the hummingbirds know to kind of keep their distance anyway. So I was sitting in front of a sliding glass door. It's about two feet back. And a hummingbird was circling, you know, the table. Many, many hummingbirds were circling. But one hit the sliding glass window. And it uh, knocked itself out. And there was a cat sitting there and it was twitching its tail. So I picked up the hummingbird and and I held it in, in my hands, you know, as seeing if it was still breathing or if it was dead. And we were talking about it. He says, well, yeah, they have broken their necks before. We've we found them. And but most of the time they're fine. They're okay. So I continue to hold this uh this bird in my hands, you know, like like this. I'm holding it. And about a minute or two later, it starts to move. It wakes up. It's little eyeballs, you know, starts to open and close. And you can see its tongue sort of. And it it, uh, straightens up. And then it sits up. And it it sort of looks around and it preens itself a little bit. And it uh, flies. And it circles around me. And it uh, flies in front. I put my hand out. It lands on my hand. And then it gets up and it flies away. It was absolutely magical, man.
0: You amazing. have gotten some really good uh, a- encounters with little wild beasts. That uh, they, they must love your energy.
1: Well, you yeah. know, I, I hope I keep that up.
0: Yes, indeed. Yes, man.
1: <laughs> My brother Dan
2: used to have a relationship with Ken. Great guys, not mocking them. Just fantastic guys. And Ken always said that if he was to come back, he would pick a hummingbird, as you said. And Dan said he would pick a, a blue heron. And so they had a place at the ocean and Ken died some time ago. And a couple of days after his death, or like the next day, I believe, Dan opened the bedroom window and there was a hummingbird just right there, how they maintained a level flight, just right up against that window looking at him. And, that. and then later that day, he saw a bunch of herons on the property and they don't have herons in that area. Oof. But the iron was hot and their thing about birds and everything. And then years back, we were at Ocean Shores and we're not supposed to do this. But from the balcony, we found kind of our Jonathan Livington Seagull that we could feed. He was kind of an ugly ducking, just a different, awkward thing. And we could relate to it, one human to another. And so he was the only one that we would feed. And we're getting ready to leave. And we're hearing this tap, tap, tap. And what is that? And we look at the deck and he is flat-footed on the deck, using his beak against the window, tap, tap, tap. Hey, I'm here, I'm here. Like, you know, feed me more. <laughs> so we that's what we did. We opened up the back deck, gave a little more, and then went home. Awesome. But I but he, he was knocking on that window like, don't leave yet. Smart bird. Yeah.
1: Smarter Sliding glass
2: door,
0: excuse me. Yeah. I think birds are smarter than we ever give them credit for. Certainly crows are. Uh, but they're, they're just now discovering a lot of this stuff. You know, isn't it amazing how in, in the last, you know, 50 or 60 years that I've been alive, that they keep on discovering new stuff and they still don't know hardly anything.
1: Yeah, I think our eyes are just opening the fact that animals have souls and an intelligence that we've been unaware about. You know, it's interesting. And, you know, I, I hate to... Well, this is sort of part of the whole subject. Uh, have you heard of Temple Grandin? No. She's a auti- fully functional autistic woman who uh, is a genius. And... She thinks uh, she, she, well, what she's uh, known for is building slaughterhouses. Now, that sounds oh. horrific, right? Yeah. Yeah, because it is. But she's uh, taken long strides in making humane. I mean, we think it's horrific now. Before she got involved, it was absolutely horrendous what animals had to go through because they know what's going to happen. And that was her thing was how to make the animals comfortable Uh, going through the slaughterhouse, as comfortable as they can be. And she's a woman who says she thinks in pictures as animals do. They think uh, differently than we do. They see things. And she has that kind of brain, which she feels makes her autistic. That's her explanation, that her mind is just set up differently, and she's able to think like uh, an animal. So she's done slaughterhouses and other uh, large farm Situations where they have to move animals through gates and fences and you know, uh, corridors or ship them, she makes it comfortable for them to move on, moving about because she understands what they think about as they're doing this, and it's made great strides into humanity. And this became an interest to behaviorists because she had great success at uh, these houses because they were able to do it more efficiently and the animals were more calm. Uh, The meat tasted better. There was all these extra benefits and behavior started talking to her and taking her seriously. And she just arrived at a time when people's awareness was becoming broader on the subject. And of course, what's her name that uh, studies primates? Uh, um,
0: um, Who's passed now?
1: Yeah, I think she just passed. um, Gosh, I forget her name
0: oh
1: uh, god i hate that i hate getting old but <laughs> and people like david childs the the guy that i just talked about that is an animal behaviorist that talks about how animals behave in nature and they're able to associate things because they're, we're paying attention we're paying attention now to not only what we've done to animals but what animals do for us
0: fossey diane fossey no, wasn't that a dancer? No, uh, <laughs> well, there, were, there was, there was a. Uh, come on, come on, guys! No, I'm come gonna on.
1: have to look it up.
0: Um, she she worked with gorillas. Yeah. Um, and and as a matter of fact, Ellen has been doing the same thing. I, not Diane. Who is it? Who is it? Matt, come on. Even Yeah, come on, Matt.
2: I'm drawing a blank here. When you say Ellen, were you referring to Jane Goodall?
1: Jane Goodall.
0: That's it. Yeah. Okay.
1: Please. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No. And Ellen. Ellen is actually building a uh, um, a reserve uh, in Kenya for the same group of gorillas and stuff. So, uh, which is which is
1: on Netflix right now. There's that show, My Octopus uh, Teacher
0: oh that is so good have you seen it yeah yeah ladies and if you haven't watched that yet you need to watch the the it's about an octopus that and, and how it forms a relationship with a diver and how they that lasts for the lifetime literally the lifetime of the uh, of the octopus and then transcends to the to the uh next generation it's like a real life charlotte's web exactly yeah. exactly it, it, it was it was really it was and the scenery the, the 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 scenery of going through underneath the the kelp beds and that are like giant trees that are and it wasn't wasn't that amazing to watch
1: it was incredible and the whole hunting scene where the shark is hunting her was uh, tremendous
0: oh yeah and yes Matt. what's amazing about
2: octopus is i was reading up on them And they say an octopus is not indigenous, that they do not derive from any family tree here, and that like a human being, they were placed here.
1: Yeah, that's a thing. I won't eat them. That's one of the foods I won't eat. I just won't eat them. And you've seen seen how they're served as a food source and sometimes live. They cut off that bag, and, and the octopus is fighting as the humans eating it. Well, they oh. grow
2: back. Their tentacles do, which is amazing. How do you do that? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I guess their their genome is far more complex than ours.
2: Well, the largest octopus in the world are right here in Puget Sound. The Pacific and I was, Earth, right? yes, and I used to live at the lighthouse at Alki. And one day when it was real stormy out, I was seeing what I thought was a telephone log. And it looked odd because it was half light brown and half dark brown and it was kind of coming in at an angle and it didn't make any sense because it was going against the direction of the current in the surf and then the midpoint of it were tentacles it just swept out and the thing went under was an octopus i was looking at
1: how cool is that
2: but it was probably i would say it was easily the length of a car
0: wow oh wow that big
1: that is awesome. yes, they do. That is awesome.
0: That's amazing. I've never
1: I've never seen a wild octopus, not out, uh, not out. But I've seen it in aquariums and stuff. Of course, Seattle's got that one uh, octopus that escaped, went down a drain, was able to crawl out the aquarium. Uh, oh yes, the lid. Kayla. <laughs> Somebody didn't fasten their lid either. Yeah, the <laughs> aquarium and the octopus crawled out and then opened up the drain thing and escaped through the drain. Oh, well, wow. an
2: octopus has like a a cup that is approximately maybe an inch and a half, something like that. But anything slightly larger than an inch and a half or two inches or whatever, the whole body can make it through there, and it does.
1: It's astounding, isn't it? It's, it's and then they have
2: that yep. ink, and then they also can camouflage and change color.
1: Yeah, and change color in their environment, man. They can camouflage. Yeah,
2: they—they—they're they, they're, they're not from here.
1: No, and they communicate through through their uh, colors as well. Really, yep.
0: yeah. yeah. It it really is pretty remarkable that that they can grow back a limb or a, um, a tentacle, um, but they do, they do, and yeah. and yeah, it, it's amazing. I want to change subjects a little bit if I can before we go because I want to talk about next week's show, and um, I wanted to, well, congr- you know.
1: If we were if we were able to do that, would Viagra be in business? Uh,
0: no. See, reason
1: yeah. for everything. Okay, go ahead. That was very important for me to say.
0: <laughs> well, I I just want to I just want to say that if Viagra was for women, it would be illegal. <laughs> That's
1: right. You're right about that, man.
0: No, nobody, no, nobody gives a crap about about. Um, Viagra for men, but if it's, it has to do for a woman, then it's got to be illegal. We That's can't right.
1: They can't control themselves with it. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. Well, I want to congratulate you because uh, there's a guy that uh, I was introduced to yesterday, and we talked, his name is Randy Hathaway, and he's a good friend of uh, of um, of Eric Hall's. Known him for many years, was a roommate of him for a while. Turns out he is a remarkably gifted uh, classical uh, guitarist. Uh, tell us about him, Eric.
1: Well, yeah, he's a remarkable musician. Uh, he's one of those people that musicians know about. He's, uh, you know, not only is he terrific, he's just an amazing guitarist, but he's uh, he's got this gift of composition. He really understands. Uh, and, and I say that um, not that he understands the technical aspects of composition so well, which he does, but he's able to grasp uh, large portions of the world and interpret it as great musicians do and speak about it musically. And this CD that he recently wrote is about Americana. And he's, you know he loves American music, uh, Copeland and uh, Bernstein, and, and so many great uh, composers that uh, we, we've had. And he's, uh, he's answered that in a very real way and this cd that he's released has gotten a lot of um, great critiques from people that are playing it around the world now it's going to be terrific and he's a he's a great guy i met him at school and we we hit it off we had this class uh, inner arts program cornish uh, cornish college of the arts if people aren't familiar with it it's an art school here in seattle and It uh, tried an experimental program uh, called Inner Arts, and they approached some of the students that they thought would uh, fit in well with this, or open it up to people that were interested in this, just to get it off the ground. And um, I was in it. I was lucky enough to be one of the people they wanted in there to get it started. And Randy was in there, I believe, for the same reasons. And the concept of that was, okay, this is the assignment come up with something for next week. And you know, whatever group we were in, five or six of us would have to come up with some thing that involved all the disciplines of of uh, art. Uh you know, fine art, uh, theater, theater production, uh music, you know, incorporate all those things and do something. That was the description, so which means do anything, include everybody, do anything. And Randy and I hit it off. You know, we just had a great time. And uh, we kept in touch for a lot of years. And there was a time when uh, it was after I was living in Monroe. Uh, he had a, a bedroom that was available and I said, Hey, I got a bedroom available. Uh, come on in. So I joined him there and we lived together for a number of years. And his uh, parents, as they got older and their house needed some repairs and they weren't able to do so, uh, Randy. Uh, As all good sons do, he moved to Yakima and has been fixing up their house for the last couple of years. The before and after shots would amaze you.
0: And Um, apparently Paula is aware, or Paulette Paulette. is aware of him.
1: Yeah, I think she's got a CD, right? I think she's got a CD of his.
0: So he is going to be here and is going to join the lunch club for the entire uh, time that we're on uh, next week. And it will be a lot of fun. You're going to hear uh,
1: some great music, you're going to hear some great stories. Yeah.
0: Oh, Eric, you're the source of her information <laughs> as it turns out. <laughs> apparently, apparently you're in love with this fella, uh, which is very nice. Uh, but no, he's he's I had a nice chat with him yesterday. He's very very talented. Uh, he he's got a he's if you go to his website which is um um randyhathaway.com, I believe. Uh, If you go there, he's done tons of interviews with lots and lots of people. And Eric Eric said that uh, a world-renowned guitarist, when they come to town to play in, like, Benaroya Hall, or one of the the points that they make is that they want to hook up with him.
1: Yeah, they'll call him and say, hey, I'm in town. What are you doing? And, you know, are you available for dinner and drinks after? Then they'll comp him a ticket, and he gets to go to the show and then goes out and has dinner and, you know, these are buddies of his. These are, you know, it's going to be a great week. It's going to be a great week.
0: Yeah. So, so apparently, um, Matt has uh, walked off into the sunset there. Um, don't, don't Getting the where, corona.
1: He's yeah. got to get that corona.
0: <laughs> exactly right. Oh, man, Dan, he is bad. Um, so, but that—that's what we're going to do next. Next uh, Wednesday, I'm looking forward to that a great deal. I think that he will add. A tremendous <clears throat> amount, and he can talk music theory. He can he oh, he's man. a he's a great composer. Um, he's one of he, those guys, that, and what Eric was telling me yesterday, he's one of those guys that doesn't play as much because he can't because he doesn't play all the time because he's a busy man doing other things. He can't play up to his own standards, and exactly. that that makes it very difficult. For him to to play So it's you know exactly. it, You know but he's he's. I listen to parts of his His, his double CD That is out there and it's, it's very Very good it's very very good Yeah
1: So I got to do some Artwork of his you know, artwork on The CD Oh good for you Yeah he's got one of my paintings for someone Because he released the CD Released the charts for the CD At the same time so people could buy the music uh, and play it and then each of these songs has a painting with you know that describes the song and he had a number of his friends do the paintings you know his his dad did some sketches and a number of his other friends all did uh, paintings or drawings about uh, the pieces of each piece of music
0: which which is really cool yeah. you know and and you know every every week, we spend time together, Eric. I learn more about you. Like I didn't know that you went to Cornish. Cornish. Now they no longer exist, correct? Oh. Shut your mouth. Cornish are is they, forever.
1: Are they still? Yeah. Oh yeah, they're they're you know they're scaled down, but no oh, okay. Cornish is Cornish is embedded. I will you. Cornish is uh, Cornish is here forever. That is a great school. It, it's really if. Uh, you had to categorize it. It's like a Ivy League uh, art school,
0: and but they had tr- they had problems there for a while, didn't they?
1: Well, they always have problems. They don't have enough money because art schools, you know, their alumni instead of going into business and making millions, <laughs> they become artists and musicians that uh, are hungry and not making a lot of money. They buy. Uh there, you know, the old joke where, you know, there's $5,000 of equipment. Musician has $5,000 of equipment in a $50 car. <laughs> there's that joke. And that's all real. So there isn't a lot, you know, they don't have the resources that, uh, you know, Harvard or some of those other great schools might have. They just don't have the alumni that has money. Because let's face it, even uh, the people that have gone there that have done well, like Brandon Frazier I'm trying to think of some other people that went to Cornish. They just don't have, you know, people contributing. Um, It it costs a lot of money to go there, and they accept people from all over the world. But you can imagine that uh, the people that spend money on that are um, either people that have a lot of money or people that are dreaming that they're going to make a lot of money, and they're going into art. And they do art because they love it. And there's a lot of great artists that have come out of there, and all kinds of uh, musicians, and uh, fine artists, and designers, and uh, theater uh, production people. But uh, as far as earning the money, society at a whole doesn't uh, doesn't uh, pay artists what artists feel that they should get.
0: And they don't. If you're a musician, you had it. It's it's shameful. What's what's going on with them? I do have a real quick positive story to tell you guys. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you saw this on CNN yesterday. Did you? Did you? Either of you catch this on CNN? No. Yeah. Well, over the weekend, the uh, moratorium on uh, evictions. Oh um, yeah. Um, expired. Yeah, and they weren't, and they weren't sure if they were going to put it back. Well, CNN went and talked to a lady and her three kids. All I think the oldest kid was ten, and seven, and five. Oh and God. this this lady was a dealer in Vegas, and um, because of the COVID and stuff, she got laid off. She hasn't been able to find work. She pawned her car. She pawned all of her furniture. She was actually. Um trying to make rent by giving blood, oh my god, and so c n n was talking with her, she was in tears she didn 't know where she was going to go she didn 't have family in the area um and they mentioned at the very end of the segment uh because the and even even the the person doing the interview was crying, the gal was crying the kids were were kind of oblivious, but they're kids. Um, and stuff, and 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 so at the end of the segment, they and that they said, uh, "Now she does have a GoFundMe page." Oh, good. good. The next day, they go back and interview her again, and uh overnight, because of the story that she told and the desperation that she was in, she needed two thousand dollars in order to pay her rent, or she was going to be evicted, and she had nowhere to go. Uh, When the interview started, it was Brooke Baldwin who was doing the interview uh, on CNN. And when the interview started, she had $82,000 in the GoFundMe page. It was she was crying and she was so thankful. And they talked for about 10 minutes. And before they ended it, uh, Brooke Baldwin said, when we started this interview, you had eighty-two thousand dollars in your GoFundMe page. Now there's ninety-seven thousand dollars in your GoFundMe page, and so she's going to be okay. And I think she's going to set it up so that she can help other people, so that wonderful. that are that that can't get a job and 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 they're they're in in danger of being evicted. And then I find out today that uh, President Biden has um, made uh, some concessions uh, or has changed the rules a little bit so that the uh, um, people can't be evicted quite so easily yet. But that's that's my feel-good story for the day. You know, that
1: does fit. Take that, Crows. Crows, you may be smart, but you can't raise $97,000 in 24 hours. Let's see you do it. Go fund me, Crows. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? And see, and, and Kayla's right. You know, you have to look at, the fact that there are good people still there, that are out
1: there. There are a lot of good people out there. As much as I jump our shit, there's a lot of good people
0: out there. You jump our shit?
1: Yeah, I give humans a bad time all the time. We suck. But <laughs> there's a lot of good humans. There's a lot of good humans. Like you too, Like Matt and Kevin and Kayla. There's, there's good people out there. Yes. And Paulette. Paulette's a good egg, too
0: exactly we enjoy having her on the show she's our number one uh fan and uh and stuff one of these days they're going to make her come on um but uh um let's see some kayla loves her wednesday crew oh, we love you too kayla get better get feel better soon okay yeah. so that you can so that you can eat something so that you your child will grow and and yeah. everybody will be happy wear your hair back yeah, I think she probably figured that part
1: out. There's <laughs> some sympathy for you. Wear your hair back.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I've never been pregnant, Kayla. It's the best I can do.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, she says, uh, I'm always. I'm always, Eric. cool.
1: And I'll leave out my other comment for previously. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know. Like I was telling Caleb the other day, thank God we can't get pregnant because we would not. We, I don't think any, any <laughs> one of the three of us could handle what what she has to put up with, oh, or what, what women do and and stuff. So no. we're we're not we're not nearly considering the birth
1: tunnel we have. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, we yeah. We, have, we have major trouble with a kidney stone, oh, let alone. Man. Let alone that, but yeah, uh,
1: I drink a lot of water to avoid that. I don't in, even want the pain.
0: In, in, I agree, I agree. Uh, well, Matt,
2: what do you think? I love the show, and I want to point something out. Once we got on animals, we pretty much stayed on it. I love the musician friend that Eric's going to introduce us to, but uh, just a great show.
1: Yeah, it's been
0: fun. It's it. It has been fun. So anybody, have any one of you guys, Eric, it's your time. Give us a something that you'd like us all to know,
1: all to know about animals. Listen, they're talking to you all the time, all the time. Even when uh, they're not, like uh, I know Sheba is keeping an eye on me right now, and I know exactly where she is without even uh, looking for her. She's. Uh, She's under the end table to the left of the sofa in her favorite hiding spot. I know that she's there because I can sense her there. And I know when I go outside later, she's going to follow me out. And she's going to check the perimeter. She'll start at the left, and she'll walk around the house. She'll come around to the right. I know exactly what she's going to do because she's already thinking about it. Listen to your animals. They're speaking to you all the time. They know what your ass looks like. I mean that literally. (laughs) They know what your ass looks like.
0: They, they do. <laughs> they, uh, Matt?
2: A big thank you to our Paulette. She's kind of a founding member of the fan club, so to say, and she's here every week. Yeah, just thank you, Paulette.
1: Yeah, thank you, Paulette. We appreciate you
0: here. Thank you, Paulette. It's, it's, it's great to have you here. And on behalf of these two uh, coconuts that are over here... <laughs> <laughs> I, I would like to thank everybody, <laughs> everybody for uh, participating with us today. Uh, next week is going to be a very special week with Randy Hathaway. I hope that you'll stay uh, with us for that. Tell your friends uh, we have fun doing this, and uh, and would like to thank especially Kayla May for contributing. Even though she's not with us in video, she's with us in spirit. So. Kayla, you feel better today and, and really take good care and and maybe you know. something like this in a rope around. <laughs> then you
1: could get out, and be portable.
0: Oh boy, nobody you know nobody would but, ask.
1: I'm sure you can go to the grocery store, and nobody would ask.
0: Somebody is going to is going <laughs> to get you for that. That was that was quite a yeah. But, but it's, it's, it's 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 I I can't imagine it. I can't imagine it. I, I'm I'm so wimpy with getting sick and stuff. Uh oh. Kayla's nice. got a response. Let's see what she says. It's nice to be a the Oh no, this is this is Paula. Oh, and funny. that's prayers, prayers to you, Kayla. And and uh, yeah. and that's and Kayla says and she loves it, so that's that's great. So, I'd, I'd like to thank you guys for being here and and stay with us next week at one o'clock on Wednesday because that's when Randy Hathaway is going to be here. It'll be now if God willing, and uh, Kayla feels better, she'll be here as well. She's and uh, stuff. So we're looking forward to putting all of that together. And and she's doing the Gloria Gaynor song. I will survive. Um, which (laughs) I told you that Never mind. I don't need to go into that story. Um, but, um, Kayla, we know you'll survive. We just feel sorry for you, my friend. It's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough deal. It's a tough deal, but, uh, take, take that anti-nausea medication, which probably doesn't work for anti-nausea. Uh, but you know, I don't know. So anyway, I hope everybody has a great week and we will see you next when next Wednesday at one.